When my daughter was uh, four years old, she was going to go to a birthday party of a friend who was turning five. And we're driving, and she's in her car seat in the back seat, and I said to her, let's stop at Target and get a gift for your friend for the birthday party. And she said, no, Daddy, I don't want to do that. I want to give her one of my toys. Now, initially, I thought, that's really sweet. I mean, that's, my daughter is kind of sweet, tender-hearted. I like that. I said, but honey, you don't have to do that. I mean, I can, well, let's just go to the store. We'll buy her something. And she insisted. She said, no, I, I want to give her one of my toys. That kind of heart is what we're going to talk about this morning. A heart that has a sacrificial kind of giving to it. We're in the, we just started the series last week called From Living to Legacy. How is it that my life is more than just living, more than just day to day? And how is it that a legacy that I could leave would not just be for now, but be remembered into eternity? Last week, we said the number one thing is the first and great commandments, God's great passion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Today, we're going to look at the second. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that? I was very, very proud of my daughter when she was saying that. I thought, I'm not even sure I would do that. You know, I want to give up something of mine instead of just going and buying a new thing. And I said, all right, honey, we can, we can do that. What do you want to give her? And she said, you know, Daddy, one of those toys in the garage I don't use anymore. <laughs> I think that's probably more what my heart's like a lot of times. Would you pray with me? Father, as we open your word, by the power of your spirit, would you speak to us? Convict us, encourage us, train us that we would be more like your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. The emphasis, the focus today is going to be on the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is probably a familiar parable to everybody. Some of the background to that parable are these first few verses that we're not going to spend as much time in, but we're going to dive into the parable. We'll start in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, this sounds very familiar to last week. In Matthew's account, another lawyer comes, and whether or not this is the same account, it may, it may not be. Right, we're going to take it as Luke has it in here and not worry so much about Matthew's account right now. We have Luke's that we're worried about. So in Luke's accounts, this lawyer stands up to put him to the test. So understand, much like last week, this question, it's not really a question the lawyer is that interested in. He's not looking for the content of Jesus' answer. He's testing him. Here's his question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Again, like last week, this is not a question he came up with right here on the spot that has ever been asked before. This question is being asked. They are debating. They are talking through, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law and how do you read it? He turns the question. You tell me. What are you reading in the word of God that would answer this question? 
And he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, we do know from last week that's a really good answer, right? Because that's the answer that Jesus will give when he is tested, and they say, what's the greatest commandments? And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And that is the point that the lawyer realizes he's just stepped into a trap that he didn't intend. He came here to test Jesus, but when he gives the answer, he recognizes that his life does not match up with what Jesus just said, go and do. The problem is he gave the answer. It's not like he can get out of it. He's the one that just said, I need to do this. And Jesus says, well, go do it. And he goes, oh. And I'll give you an idea of what he's probably thinking, at least maybe. He's thinking, all right. If I'm to go love my neighbor as myself and love the Lord in this way, it's going to be more than what I'm currently doing. It's going to be bigger than what I'm currently thinking. I'm going to have to get out of what I'm comfortable in right now and move forward in something. And so what you get is verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said, all right, well, who is my neighbor? Let's go a different direction. Let me figure out how to remain where I am without moving forward. All right, that is going to be the core of what we talk about today. I'm only going to talk for a moment about this. What does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? And the reason I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this is because you already know what that means. I really don't need to delineate all these different things about it. I don't need to go into the Greek. You already know what it means. How is it that you love yourself? How is it that you love those things that are yours? How is it that you take care of them? Right? Here's a really good one. How often do you give yourself the benefit of the doubt in a situation? Give it to your neighbor. Right? This is not rocket science. I mean, this is taking the law, the 613 commandments, and going... Love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Take care of them, give them benefit of the doubt, love them, sacrifice for them, do whatever it takes as you do for yourself. And the lawyer gets that. It's the reason you have this but trying to justify himself. That's further than I want to go. I'd make the argument that we're much better at loving our neighbors as our neighbors love us. And I think the lawyer is too. Because it's a lot easier to love people in the way they love you. It's a lot easier when somebody gives something to you. Say, okay, well, I can give something back. But that's not where he goes. It's not love your neighbor as your neighbor loves you. It's love your neighbor as you love you. Do that for them. All right, so if we are to do that, I want to say there are two things we learn from this lawyer that we're going to have to do. Number one, we cannot justify where we are right now. We cannot defend our lack of loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's what he's doing. Look, if you will, with me. Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a 17-mile walk. It's about 3,000 feet down. And there are parts of this trail that are winding through areas that would be very easy to get jumped. This is not the best trail for a person to be walking on by themselves. But that's his trip. 
And he fell among robbers. Notice he's outnumbered. There's one of him. There's multiple of them who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this guy's on a journey. He's heading to Jerusalem, heading to Jericho, and he gets jumped. He is stripped of his clothing. He is beaten. Everything is taken from him, and he's just left there. He's on the side of the path. Verse 31, now by chance. Now, typically, if you hear that, that's a, probably a good thing. Now, just by chance? No, no, this is God working. By chance, this guy comes by. And look, it's a priest. By chance, a priest was going down that road. I mean, who else would you want coming down when you're beaten half dead and laying on the road? I mean, a priest is going to help, right? And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You could almost imagine people standing in this crowd listening going, what? No, he stopped, right? He's a priest. I mean, he stopped and helped the guy. So likewise, a Levite, Levites and priests are different. Your Levite is kind of an assistant to the priests. They take care of the temple, but they're still clerical in nature. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, in Greek, this gives you just a moment of pause. He actually looked at him, but passed by on the other side. Still passed by on the other side. How do you take these two holy men and they are walking down a road and there is a guy who is beaten, stripped of his clothing, looking like he's dying. Maybe it looks like he's dead already. And you just pass by on the other side. How does that happen? Well, if in the parable, the priest and the Levite have anything to do with the lawyer, they are justifying themselves. We don't know what they're thinking, but let me give you some just speculation. Maybe they don't want to touch a dead body and they think he's dead because they'll be unclean. Maybe they are worried it's a trap. There's a guy there and as soon as I bend down, we're going to get jumped and they're going to take me. Maybe, and this might sound a little harsh, maybe they just have somewhere to go and they're kind of in a hurry and they don't have time to stop for this guy and nobody's around to see it. So I'm just going to walk right by and keep going so I get to where I'm going on time. We have no idea what the justification is. We just know that they had it. What are your justifications for a lack of compassion? What are your justifications for not loving your neighbor as yourself? A number of years ago, I was driving on 190 on George Bush. I'm heading east. I get to 75, and you've got that very large overpass going over 75. And as I hit the bottom of it and I start going up, I see at the pinnacle of the overpass, there's a car pulled over, and there's a guy standing. He's got a door open, and he's standing right on the edge where that concrete rail is at. And he's just got his hands, and he's just sitting there doing this. And as I drove by, now I'm just going to let you know up front. I am not an overly spiritual person. I don't hear God speaking to me all the time. Uh, this is a very abnormal experience for me. But as I am passing this guy by, I feel the spirit stop. Again, this is not normal. All right? So I went by him because I was already there, and I got off, 
and I'm pulling around, and I'm getting back on the toll road, and I'm thinking, I really hope this guy just has a flat tire because I don't want it to be something worse. And so I get on, and going on to the off-ramp, there is actually a tow truck. I'm like, I'm off the hook until the tow truck goes right by and just keeps going. So I pull up behind this guy, and I'm back a ways. My three-year-old is in the car seat in the back. I don't want to be anywhere near this guy because I really don't know what's going on. But trying to follow what the Lord said to do, so we stop. And I'm back a ways. I get out of the car. I walk up, and I still stay a distance from me. I'm from me to maybe the back of the room. And I said, hey, are you okay? He didn't notice I'd even stopped. He looks back at me, and he says, get the bleep back. And his leg goes up onto the rail. Now, I was not trained in seminary for this. <laughs> there were no classes that told you how to deal with a guy who was mentally unstable, looking like he's going to jump off an overpass. But I did the best I could. I just kind of talked to him uh, as much as I could talk to this guy. And I, I swear it felt like an hour. Um, it was probably five minutes, ten minutes maybe. But it just, like I'm going, please, somebody do something. And eventually, a policeman taps me on the shoulder. Um, I was so engrossed, I didn't even know anything had happened. I look back. There are like four cop cars and fire. In, I mean, they, like all of them have shown up for this. Negotiators, they pull me back behind a car. And two guys come out, and they've got these, like, they look kind of like sawed-off shotguns. I don't know what they were, but the, the stock on it was orange. And they come down, and they kneel, and they point it at the direction. On the stock are two words, less lethal. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> Is that like mostly dead? <laughs> less lethal. So after a while, they finally talk this guy down. They get him into a cop car and they let us go. I tell you that story because I almost didn't stop. I had all these justifications going through my head, and I guarantee you there are times I haven't, because I am thinking to myself, and literally I was late, I was heading to a meeting, I had to drop my daughter off, and like I almost didn't stop because I'm thinking, I gotta get to this meeting, I'm gonna be late. What are the reasons that we justify a lack of compassion, a lack of being a part of somebody else's life, a lack of trying to help where there is clearly a need. What are those reasons that hold us back? The priest and the Levite had them. The lawyer has them. But then we meet somebody who shows us the other side. If you want to love your neighbor as yourself, if I want to love my neighbor as myself, I have to be willing to embrace sacrifice. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan. Now, if you're an audience filled with Jews, you're waiting for me to say, went up and kicked him afterwards because they're such terrible people. Samaritans and Jews do not get along. Jews are willing to walk around Samaria to get to Galilee just so they don't have to walk through it. Right? This is not a good guy in a first century Jewish mind. Right? The Samaritan, but a Samaritan. As he journeyed, so he's going somewhere. He's got a place he's headed. He came to where he was, and when he saw him, he sees him also. He had compassion. Now, just imagine the flip here. Here comes a priest. He passed by on the other side. Here comes a Levi. He passed by on the other side. Here comes a Samaritan. He stopped. Really? And he had compassion. A, a, a Samaritan stopped and had compassion? 
He stops and he has compassion. Verse 34, he went to him. He bound up his wounds. It's very likely he was not carrying bandages around with him. He probably ripped some of his own clothing to do this. He poured oil and wine. That's his oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, which means he probably walked the rest of the way. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. That really messed up his plans. Wherever he was journeying for, he just spent the night with a guy he doesn't know. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. It would give about three weeks worth of staying in the inn that he just paid for for this guy. Saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He embraced sacrifice. This Samaritan gave something. He gave up his schedule. He gave up his clothing, his possessions, his money, and he appears to want nothing in return. He just says, when I come back through, if he's actually spent more, I will give you more. He embraced sacrifice, which will be necessary if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because as I said in the beginning, this is not love your neighbor as your neighbor loves you. It's love your neighbor as yourself. And it may mean some of these very things for us. It may mean, all right, many of us don't know our neighbors just around us. I mean, think about what our neighborhoods are. We pull in, we open our garages, we pull into our garages without getting out of the car, and then we close the garage without getting out of the car. And like, you hear voices on the other side of a fence, some disembodied, maybe your people live over there. But like, we don't really know each other very well. And you can live there for a long time without knowing people. May I suggest that just as a stepping point, you give up a little bit of comfort. You give up maybe that TV show you were going to go in and watch, and you walk next door and try and meet somebody. Just that much. Because let me ask you something. How would you like if somebody came to you, they knocked on the door and they just said, hey, here's some cookies. Welcome to the neighborhood. As long as they're chocolate chip, I'd go for it. (laughs) But I mean, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor in the way you would like to be loved. I am so good at complaining about how my neighbor never says hi to me. Notice the other side of that, though. I mean, I'm excellent at noticing those things. It doesn't have to start with as much as the Samaritan, but it has to start. Here's a big example of this. There's a little boy named Bryce who lives in Illinois. He was diagnosed this year with cancer. He's on chemotherapy, and his parents said one of the things keeping him going is he likes to dress up like a superhero. And superheroes are giving him energy and encouragement. And Well, a guy uh, named Damon Cole saw this on Facebook. And he was with a seven-year-old daughter, and they saw it together, and he said, I want to bless this kid. And so Damon got a Superman outfit, and he went to this kid's house, talked to the parents beforehand, didn't just show up in a Superman outfit. (laughs) Talked to the parents, came to the door, and Bryce was just like, Wow! And he took him outside and showed him his Superman car, which had light-up things on it. And I mean, just this kid had such a great day. And this was what Bryce said in an interview. 
He said, if I can bring happiness to this family that's going through so very tough a time in life, why not do it? How's that for a simple philosophy? If I could make a difference in this kid's life, why wouldn't I want to do this? But here's the part of the story that just is amazing. This is why it's even a story. This guy, Damon Cole, he's a full-time police officer in Dallas. He drove 11 hours to be with this kid. He bought his own Superman thing. He did his own car. He also bought an Iron Man suit that he does with this kid. He took three days of vacation time to be able to do it. He sacrificed to do this. Here's what the mom said. People talk about doing stuff all the time, but he came and was there. This is James. What benefit is to say, go and be warm when you don't actually do anything about it. He was there. The father, speaking of his son, said, I think he, that is his son Bryce, understood what was happening, but I don't think he understood how far Damon traveled and how much it really meant. And he ended with this very simple thing. You don't see it every day. People like Damon who take time away from their family to help a sick child, even if it's just to hear that child go, wow, if the world had more people like that, we might be in a better place. Just imagine if all we did was love our neighbors like we love ourselves. If we were willing to make, I mean, this is a big sacrifice. I recognize that. Please don't leave the room thinking that, well, to fulfill that, I have to drive 11 hours somewhere. Let's get on a map and figure it out. It's not that. But it is recognizing this is a sacrifice to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to have to give something up. Your schedule or time, some energy, maybe apathy you're going to have to give up. It's going to take something. At the end, Jesus gives this guy a lesson. Much like Jesus flipped the question in the first place, where the lawyer comes and says, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? He's going to flip the lawyer's question again. The lawyer said, who is my neighbor? Notice the assumption in that, that there's a class of non-neighbor, that there's somebody that doesn't fit, that like the people over there that make me mad, they're not neighbors. These work people over here that are corrupt, they're not my neighbors. The guy that just annoys me, he's not my neighbor. There's some category of non-neighbor. Here's what Jesus does at the end. Verse 35. Uh, just the end there. I will repay you when I come back. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Again, notice this question. It's not who is the neighbor for the person to do something to. It's which one acted like a neighbor. Once again, the lawyer kind of puts his foot in his mouth. The one who showed mercy. Notice he doesn't even say the Samaritan. The one who showed, you can almost picture it through gritted teeth. The one who showed mercy. Because Jesus is not interested in the question, who is my neighbor? He's interested in the question, will you be a neighbor? We call this sermon, won't you be my neighbor? Which in the first service, everybody knew who that was. The second service, we're getting down in age. They're kind of getting younger here. But Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, 
He comes in and he's got his, you know, fleece little vest thing on. And he comes in and he like flips his shoe up into the air and, and he sings, won't you be my neighbor? That's this. I'm reaching out to you. I'm inviting you in. I'm taking the first step to say, I want to be the neighbor in the way that I would wish somebody to be a neighbor to me. But I'm not waiting for that point. I'm inviting in. That's what he's calling him to. Go and do likewise. Lawyer, you're not getting out of this. It's the same thing that was set up at the top. Now you go and do this. Oh, but who is my neighbor? Don't worry about that. You know who the neighbor is. You go and do that, even to the Samaritan. That is loving your neighbor as yourself. The hardest part about the, that story, about this guy on the bridge, for me personally, is I passed him. I felt that nudge that, you know, it wasn't an audible voice. It was just a, a stop. And I went right by the first exit. And then I went right by the second exit. I still am not totally sure why I went to the third and actually stopped. I could have gone by that one too. But I mean, I had to go three exits down, turn around, come all the way back, get back on the toll road, come up here, pull over, get to... It had to have taken at least 10 minutes for me to do all of that. Here's the thing. Nobody had stopped. I mean, what is a person doing standing at the top of an overpass with their hands on the... It's not sightseeing. Like something is going on here, and yet everybody, including almost me, just kept going by because we have a lot more people passing by on the other side than we have people stopping. Let's not be those people that are just passing by on the other side, but the people who are willing to stop, who will stop justifying ourselves and embrace a sacrificial kind of life that may put us out of our comfort zones. It may ruin a little of our plans, but it allows us to serve our God it allows us to build the kind of legacy that actually matters. Following what we are commanded to do and loving people like we have been loved. God did not treat us like we treated him. God loved us like we didn't deserve. Will we do the same? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. A love that we didn't deserve. A love we could never earn. A love that goes far beyond our failings, our rejections of you at times, our rebellions. Gets right down into our lives that the God of the universe truly loves us and gave the life of his son. Father, help us to embrace that so fully that we want to live in the power of your spirit like your son lived, giving of himself to others, loving his neighbor, that we might honor him and honor you. We ask this in the name of our Savior.